I think one of the most damaging inventions in all of human history has been the mirror. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Now, you might be like, okay, no, that's not what I thought you were going to say. I mean, Anthony, surely you'd, there's something worse, like some weapon of mass destruction, high fructose corn syrup, credit card, something, right? Not a mirror, okay? Um, now, um, I do think, though, that it is one of the inventions that has proved the most damaging to humanity, and it's just this item that's everywhere. It's in every home, every bathroom. Uh, how many of you probably, if you had a mirror on you right now? Yeah? Is there a mirror? How many of you have purses, right? You can raise your hand. It's fine. How many of you have ever gotten your phone out and either used the camera or just the black screen to, like, check yourself out, right? Yeah, right? It's every... We, I mean, we'll make mirrors where there are no mirrors, right? Uh, so it's, it's everywhere. Now, I'm not going to say go home and smash all your mirrors and knock the side mirrors off your car or anything like that. I'm not, we're not going to go crazy with this. I understand the benefits of having mirrors, um, but the reason... I say that they're damaging is because they have given us the ability to look at ourselves all the time. It gives us this ability, this unparalleled ability that hasn't existed through most of human history to look at ourselves. Now, mirrors have been used in some form or another for around 6,000 years. Uh, for most of human history, they were something like this. They were polished metal or stone, um, which... Uh, led to a reflection, but it was imperfect. You know, it wasn't the clarity that we have with the mirrors of today. Now, obviously, this is an old one, and it's lost its sheen, but it's an ancient um, mirror. Um, but it was around 1835 when the modern mirror was invented, and it gave this cheap and easy way for mirrors to find their way into our everyday lives. Now, um, in 2015, though, because I think mirrors have changed so much, and evidence here, 2015, a thousand, a survey, a thousand British people were surveyed, and the results showed that women looked at their reflection on average 16 times a day. That is once an hour for your waking hours. You're looking at your reflection in some shiny reflective surface. I mean, talk about vanity, ladies. I don't know what your problem is, but whatever it is, guys have it worse because the same survey revealed that men check out their reflection on average 23 times a day. That's once every 40 minutes. I'm, it's uh, yikes. I don't even know what to think about that. Like, um, and here's the thing. Nobody wants to admit that they check themselves out in a mirror most of the time. Like, we, don't wanna, we don't want people to know most of the time we're looking at ourselves, right? I mean, uh, men, is there anything so humiliating as getting caught like flexing in the mirror by your wife? It's just, I don't know what it is, okay? I, think, I, th I tried thinking about this this week because it's like, Abby knows everything about me. She's seen my worst moments. But dear Lord, please don't let her walk in when I'm sucking in my chest, or sucking in my gut, sticking out my chest, and like flexing my biceps. It's like, that will kill me from embarrassment. Like, I'll be in the ICU, like dying of severe embarrassment. And it's just like, why? What is that? There's something we don't want to draw attention to the fact that we are looking at ourselves, checking, at our, checking ourselves out. Now, the thing inside of us that mirrors play to, because mirrors aren't evil, they're a tool. The thing inside of us that makes us gravitate towards checking ourselves out in a mirror and also feel embarrassed when we get caught checking ourselves out in a mirror is actually a much larger problem. It's something inside of us that is grotesque, it is insidious, it is, I think, 
one of the main, if not the main problem plaguing all of humanity. It is the root of almost every problem we suffer with, and it's a sin called pride. Pride. Now, pride can have a couple of different meanings, okay? So we're not talking about the phrase like, okay, um, you know, <coughs> excuse me, um, she takes pride in her work, or I'm proud of my kids. Like, not that kind of like you, where somebody did something, and you're like, yes, good, or you do work well because you want to leave a good mark in the world. Not that kind of pride. The pride we're talking about today is this nasty thing inside of you that makes you want to elevate yourself above other people. That's what pride is. Pride directs you to live in such a way that you are trying to actively elevate yourself above other people. And pride is something that every single one of us deals with. It's, it's something we struggle with to some extent. And unfortunately, very, very few people are aware of just how much they struggle with pride because pride is like the sneakiest thing. It's so incredibly strange how pride hides itself from our eyes. Um, for instance, pride is one of those things that's really easy to see in other people. I mean, you know when you see somebody who's prideful. I mean, you've all encountered that person who's just unpleasant to be around because they're constantly trying to push their way to the top of whatever hierarchy they're in. Or sometimes you find somebody that it's like they're trying to prove their worth, and you're like, what are you trying to prove? There's nothing really to gain from, you know, saying that you're better than us, proving that you're better than us. It's like they're trying to score points on some invisible scoreboard that only they can see. And you know how like distasteful that is to be around somebody who's always kind of jockeying for position in life. And so it's obvious when we, when we see it in other people, but we can be so incredibly blind to it when it's in our own lives. For some reason, we can't see pride in the mirror. Pride is like a vampire. It seems to have no reflection uh, pride convinces you that it's something else. It will convince you that it's some other emotion, some other situation that's bothering you, some other reason, some other concern for why you're you know, pointing all the attention at you. Um, and again, we can become completely aware that we're pretty hyper-focused. Um, uh, for instance, let's say you think you struggle with anger. Now, anger can be one of those things where you kind of tend to think life is unfair because things just go wrong. And you tend to, you may, and if you're an angry person, you might even think like life is somehow unbalanced and unfair towards you that um, to the point where like you're like more bad things happen in my life than other people's lives. Uh, I, I'm a, I can be an angry person. By God's grace, ask my wife, I've gotten better over the years. Um, I think Part of that is just kids have made me so tired I can't care about all the things I used to care about. But there's still some moments where things just kind of flare up. And in every one of those moments when I get angry, it's because it's like, man, why is this happening to me? This is so unfair. This isn't, it always, this stuff like this always happens to me. And I start like getting angry that you know, there's some sort of cosmic imbalance. And what's really going on though, when things are going wrong with me, um, is that I'm really just not getting my way. Like I had this picture of how I wanted my day, my life, my whatever to go, and that situation just didn't work out. And so it's not that life is overly unfair to me. It's just that something that I didn't want to happen, happened. And so I throw a grown-up version of a temper tantrum because I didn't get my way. 
It's strange how that works, and never once does it make me think that I'm prideful. I just point all the blame at the situations or maybe the people. It's those people, they're incompetent, they don't care about me, they're not helping me. I point all the attention anywhere else but where the issue really is, which is inside my own heart, my own soul. And your anger and frustration with those around you is, again, just because you had a picture of how your life or your day should go, and things just aren't working out. And so, again, you blow up at all the things that you think are the cause, right? So you yell at your spouse because they didn't agree with your supreme idea for how money should be spent. You blow up at your kids, not because they were being bad, but because they were being kids and interrupted your supreme idea for how easy and nice your day was supposed to be. You honk and give the finger to that person who took two seconds too long after the light turned green. How dare they? What is wrong with these morons on the road today, right? And really, it's just, I want to go. I want to get there. It's all about you. Pride, selfishness, arrogance, it will make you blind to its presence in your life, and it will make you unaware that it is poisoning your soul and making you a largely unlikable person. Pride is something that I think we should take incredibly serious because we live in an age where the world we live in is just fertile ground for pride uh, because our world has stopped talking about pride and its virtuous opposite, which is humility. We don't talk about that anymore. Our world talks exclusively about high self-esteem and low self-esteem. And, and we want everyone to have high self-esteem and celebrate themselves. And if someone feels bad about themselves, we call that low self-esteem. And that's bad, and we need to get rid of low self-esteem by building them up so they can have high self-esteem. And we've been taught that high self-esteem and low self-esteem are opposites of each other. But I think, honestly, when done the way that our culture tends to handle those two things, I think they are both just different expressions of pride. I mean, if you think about it, someone with high self-esteem, I'm awesome, I can do anything, nothing can stop me, I'm going to kill it today, I, 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 I. Low self-esteem, I'm worthless, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, no one likes me, I don't have anything to contribute, I'm unlovable. Now, it's a much more painful feeling, but it's still I, 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 me, me, me. It's very self-focused. Both high self-esteem and low self-esteem in many of their forms have this same root in the fact that we're hyper-focused on ourselves. And, and, and again, it's become a virtue to celebrate it. And, and, and it's how pride works. Because most people, we don't call ourselves prideful. We're blind to it. And it hides and masks its presence in your life and my life. Now, today we're in the middle of this teaching series called One Thing, where we are looking at some of the teachings of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was a pastor and church planner who uh, traveled all over the Roman Empire planning churches in the years after Jesus died and rose and ascended. And again, he traveled all over the known world at that point, and he'd plant these churches, and then he'd move on to plant other churches, and then he would write letters back to these churches that he had planted that he was no longer with to give them guidance and instruction and correction. And these letters make up the majority of the New Testament, although for some reason we call them books. We call them books of the Bible. But, I mean, some of these, if you wouldn't print them as a book. I mean, some of these are like one single page. So they're letters. And so they make up the majority of our New Testament. And today we're going to be in one of those letters called Philippians. Philippians will be in chapter 2. 
Um, this is where Paul gets to the heart of the issue of pride. And he gives us one thing that we need to focus on to help us defeat, identify, and escape this enemy that is destroying our souls. So Philippians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 3. This is Paul. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. So we see humility is the opposite of pride. Humility. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I like that he assumes that we're going to be selfish. He's like, don't just look to your own interests. He's going to say, you won't be able to help yourself to do that. That's just how we are. I mean, that's how life works. I mean, you can see this kind of stuff when people get into an argument, like if you're in a group and you decide to order lunch, you fight. Oh, no, let's go here. No, let's go here. No, let's go here. And then finally you're like, fine, let's get pizza. Everybody likes pizza. Well, that doesn't solve the problem because then you get all fight about the pizza toppings. Why? Because everybody's thinking about their own thing. Everybody wants their own result. And so Paul tells us that we need to avoid everything that is selfish and lean into this wonderful thing called humility. And what we're going to learn in the verses that follow that is that as believers, we must be determined to follow in the path that Jesus himself laid out for us. We must follow an example that he modeled. And one of the most obvious characteristics of Jesus' life was his extreme humility. Jesus was extremely humble. Extremely humble. Now, if you read the Gospels and the story of Jesus, you won't, you won't see what we often think of as humility because we're looking for low self-esteem. That's what we think of as humility. Like, like we, we, we expect Jesus' humility. If he's humble, he's going to be like, oh, boy, don't, 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 don't give me food. You guys take care of things. Don't worry about me. I'll get, oh, poor me. Like, that's not what we see in Jesus. In fact, he comes across as quite confident most of the time. But he was extremely humble. But whereas pride makes us want to elevate ourselves, get more attention, get more praise, get more comfort, get more notoriety, humility the humility especially that Jesus modeled is about lowering yourself. Humility is about elevating others, not you. It's not about you trying to get into the best position. It's not you caring only about yourself. It's about you looking at the people around you and trying to help them get ahead, help them have a blessed life, help them have everything better. It's about being a servant. Humility says their needs before mine, their hurts before mine, their well-being before mine. And pride is totally against that. In fact, some of the ways you can kind of notice where you're prideful is in those areas where you don't want other people to get ahead. You don't want other people to have the best seat. You don't want other people to, to be able to pick where you're going to eat that night. You don't want people to decide those things. Pride makes you want to ignore people, disregard them, even disrespect them, and view some of them as, as these lesser, unimportant people that don't deserve the time. And there's a reason why you deserve and this attitude has taken over our world. I believe like the chief reason for the hostility in our culture right now is because we have allowed ourselves to be convinced that anyone who disagrees with us is some sort of lesser, moronic, inbred group of people who somehow can't see the obvious wisdom that is apparent to the visibly superior people like ourselves. Like that's no matter where you are, we're convinced the people that disagree with us, they're lesser. 
And so we deserve to be elevated above them. We deserve to have all the control, have all the say. We're right, they're wrong, and not just that, but we're better, and they're worse. And we act, you know, in so many ways in our culture. We, we're fighting over all these things that are secondary. You know, we're convinced, oh, COVID's the problem with our culture, or pol- politics is the problem with our culture. The politician's trying to take away our rights. That's the problem with our culture. The media bias, that's the problem in our culture. No, the problem behind all of those problems is pride, that we are being convinced at the core of our souls that we are better than other people. And it is ruining us. It is eating us alive. And a lot of Christians are not even immune to this. And many Christians have allowed our souls to be poisoned by pride in these last number of years. And it has made us calloused to the cares and concerns of others. It's made us hate our enemies rather than follow in the footsteps of Jesus who commanded us to what our enemies? Love our enemies. That's one of the hardest commands in Scripture. But, but, and because it's hard and because we've swallowed the prideful narrative of our culture, we just get rid of it. Love our enemies. Or what if we just don't talk about that part? What if we just edit that little section out of the Bible, get a little knife and just cut that part out of the page and just pretend like it's not there? And we, we, as, a daily, as a daily rule, we just don't live thinking, how can I love my neighbor? It's not even on our radar anymore. Again, because pride tells us to look in the mirror and only see us, ourselves. Yet Jesus made it a command. Paul goes on in verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves, meaning the humble mind where you're putting others first and you're not looking just at your own interests. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Meaning, as Christians, this humble nature should just be something that we obviously notice and recognize it should be the virtue that we hum hunger for each and every day have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped or held on to for his own good but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we get this picture painted of just how extremely selfless Jesus was. He was incredibly humble. Nothing about how Jesus came into the world is glamorous. I mean, as we think about Christmas and the coming of Jesus, the season we're getting ready to get into... Think about everything he gave up to come into our world. Jesus, he is the perfect, almighty creator of the universe. And he lived in the perfection of heaven with no needs. He had no needs. And he stepped into our downright degrading world. First off, as a baby, where he had every need. He was hungry. He had dirty wooden diapers back then, whatever kind of rags they used. Like, that was the thing. He, he couldn't get up. He couldn't go where he wanted. He couldn't do anything. He was utterly and completely dependent for every need. What a downgrade. He left a life of perfection to endure injury, sickness, fatigue, puberty. 
That's the worst. He, he came and he lived a life where he had to go to the bathroom, where he experienced temptation. Nothing about Jesus' transition from God in heaven to God in a human body was an upgrade. It was, none of it was elevating. It was 100% a downgrade on his part. And not one bit of how Jesus came into our world was a decision for what's best for him. No, it wasn't for his good. It was for ours. Everything he gave up, everything he endured here was an act of service and sacrifice for you and for me. He was lowering himself in order to serve and elevate us. Now, think about how different that is from the world we live in. How utterly different is that from the world we live in? Our world is about self-aggrandizing, self-promoting, self-protection. It's about doing whatever it takes to make ourselves happy and important and comfortable and safe. It's all about us. That's the world that we live in. Now, we naturally look out, out for ourselves. Like That's just kind of the way that we come into life. That's how we enter every day. What's in it for me? What's the most pleasant outcome for this day that I can arrange for myself? That's just kind of how we attack life. Um, one of the really current examples of this, and maybe I'm going to step on some toes here. We'll see. Um, maybe it's a tap dance kind of Sunday. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But, we're, but one of the best examples of this is how in our culture we have everyone demanding our rights. That's kind of a key phrase you hear people talking about, our rights. We want our rights protected. Don't you dare encroach on my rights. And if you th are thinking of an example that makes you angry, good, because it's not just a, it's not a, uh, a Republican thing or a Democratic thing or whatever. It's kind of, it's on both sides. We're all kind of demanding that we have a right to whatever the political issue that people are arguing about of the day. That's what we want. And this is on both sides. And it's gotten to the point now where everyone is so self-righteous. If you go on social media or watch the news, whatever perspective they're coming from, oh, we're so confident and we're just spending our time tearing down the other side and how wrong they are, how below us they are. And we're so convinced of our intellectual and moral superiority that we have completely stopped even trying to understand the people who have a different view than us. We aren't willing to take time to understand them, let alone love them as Jesus calls us to love, sacrifice as he calls us to sacrifice, and serve the way he calls us to serve. Because pride has become the default position of our world. It's about you. And we are only worried about our, our perspective, we're worried about protecting ourselves, our way of life, or as is often said nowadays, protecting our rights. Now, do not hear me as saying, I am not grateful for the protections of our country's rule of law and what it provides us. I am not advocating that we throw away the Bill of Rights or anything of that sort. I'm not saying that we just let the government command us all to do horrible, sinful things. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, though, this constant demand for my rights Think about it from a Christian perspective, and us following the, the example of Jesus. Find a place in the Gospels where Jesus advocated for his rights. You can't do it. In fact, rather than fighting for his rights, what you find consistently is he wasn't concerned about his rights. He was constantly laying down his rights. He was rarely concerned with his own safety, his own comfort, or his own well-being. In fact, you find instance after instance where he ch repeatedly chose not to fight for his rights. He didn't defend himself before Pilate. He didn't stand up for himself in front of the Sanhedrin. He didn't help himself off the cross. No, he surrendered and he lowered himself every opportunity he had to serve 
and save you and me. And just think about the rights that he was entitled to. Again, his right was to live in the perfect existence of heaven forever with no needs, no wants, no aches, no emotional hurts. He, he, he had the right to stay in the riches and comfort of heaven far away from this painful existence. It was his right to wipe us off the face of existence because of our guilt and sin. It was his right to stay where he was, and yet he chose. He surrendered all of his rights to step into our lesser form as a human. Everything he gave up and everything he endured was an act of service. And it was about him lowering himself and, again, elevating others. And so where our world is telling us to ask this question, how high can I climb? How important can I be? How much importance can I, can I get for myself? How many likes, followers, how much praise can I siphon off of the people in my life? Our world is saying, how high can I climb? Jesus tells us to ask an entirely different question. He says, how low can I go? Who can I serve? Who can I help? Who can I sacrifice for? And so because we live in this world where pride is just woven into the culture in such a way that we don't even see it as pride anymore, and because we are supposed to be following a Savior who walks a, a, a path completely opposite of pride, I think we need to take kind of a really serious no-holds-barred approach to attacking the pride in our lives. Uh, first step for that, I think, is to focus on the one thing that the apostle puts in front of us, and that is the example of Jesus. Uh, as I said, coming up on the Christmas season, we got a whole month focusing on, you know, eight pounds, six ounce, sweet little baby Jesus. Think about, think about the utter helplessness in that moment, how he had, he went from an existence where he had command of all of the universe, where he could speak the laws of physics into existence, where he could throw galaxies into the depths of the universe with his words, and he gave that up to become the most needy creature on the face of the earth. I mean, humans come out more helpless than most creatures. I mean, you ever watch those like nature documentaries and like a shark gets born, like pops out of his mom, and it's like, well, good luck. Hope you can live and not get eaten. Like, there's no hope. I mean, they just go out and they do. Like, so many creatures in this world come out with some sense of survival skills. <laughs> not humans. We're just a cuddly little chubby ball of worthlessness who is totally dependent on other people. And yeah, we're cute. We're like little, little old men people, right, when we come out. But, but we're helpless. Think about that. Think about the Jesus. Think of all he gave up to come into our world to walk in our shoes and to give and sacrifice his life for us. Never allow yourself to forget that following in the footsteps of Jesus means lowering yourself, not elevating yourself. Um, another step, and this one's just specific to the time we live in. we got to work actively to stop dehumanizing people. We have let ourselves come to this belief that, again, those who disagree with us are, are some dumb, immoral caricature. They're morons who just can't see the truth. We've stopped seeing people as people. We realize, you know what, the things that we believe, a lot of times there's fears and concerns and hopes behind our beliefs. They have fears and hopes and anxieties behind their beliefs too. 
And it wouldn't hurt us to stop treating people as a caricature and enter into their situation as Jesus entered into ours and at least understand where they're coming from because we have to realize our so-called enemies, they are people too. And if Jesus was willing to step out of heaven to love us and we're a mess, we should be willing to step out of our little bubble and understand and love others. And then finally, I think you should ask yourself any chance you get in every situation you find yourself in, how can I give, how can I serve, how can I love? How can I, de, uh, how can I uh, lower myself in this moment rather than elevating myself? Because I do not believe the way to fix our world, to help in this divisive moment, the way Christians are going to make a difference in our world is not by elevating ourselves. It's not by trying to get the loudest megaphone, and to get ourselves up onto the biggest stage. There's plenty of other people trying to do that same bit of scrambling. We are not going to change our world by looking out for our best interests. All that does is widen the divide and take us farther away from being the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. The way forward is in the footsteps of Jesus. The way forward is in the path that Christ modeled for us in his example of extreme, extreme humility. And his way is about elevating others and lowering ourselves. So as our world asks every single day, how high can we climb? We ask the question of Jesus, how low can I go? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the different path that Jesus lays out for us. We are grateful for the humility that he modeled for us, that his life was one of sacrifice. His life was one of giving and serving. And it, at times, it didn't even make sense even to those closest to him who knew that he came to serve, who knew that he came to give. On the night before his death, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, which was a job reserved for the lowest. That was the example you set him to, Father. And we are grateful that he faithfully and lovingly carried out that path. And so I just pray that we would be people who don't just get formed by our culture, shaped by our world, and we can instead try to be drastically different people who live for you, who follow in the footsteps that Jesus gave us of his amazing example of service and sacrifice, where we see that there's no job beneath us, there's no person who, who is too far gone to deserve our help, that we are not so high and mighty over any human being that we shouldn't be able to take the time to serve and love and give for others. So help us to elevate others and lower ourselves. Help us to spend our lives not even worrying about what's happening with us, to not even live focusing on ourselves, to almost forget to look in the mirror. Because we're not here to think less of ourselves. That's not what you put us here for. We're here to think of ourselves less and to look out for the interests and needs of others. So I pray that you would shape our hearts and help us to be those kinds of people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.